Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. So being Grandparents Day, as one generation gives forth to another, that's a very appropriate time. And I wanted to speak to you, as Andrew was saying, about legacy. In fact, more than that, I want to talk to you about leaving an intentional, spiritual, lasting legacy. And I want to do this from the theme of the book in the book of Kings and Chronicles, looking at the life of King Hezekiah. And there's an enormous amount of material in King Hezekiah, uh, and so I won't be able to deal with it all. Andrew has said to me, not one second more than 90 minutes you've got today. Uh, And so if I um, come to bits and I leave out your particular uh, important portion of Hezekiah, well, write your angry letters to Andrew, not for me. It's it's his fault. Uh, But there's just so much... And I want to jump straight in because this man was one of the great kings of the Old Testament. Look at what the Bible says about him. In the third year of Hosea, of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, just as his father David has done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Neheshtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him amongst all the kings of Judah either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord, and he did not stop following him. He kept the commands that the Lord had given to Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines, and from Gaza and its territory. I want you to notice what it says about him. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him amongst all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. Now, Hezekiah is a great king, but he's not a perfect king. And so when we start thinking about leaving an intentional, spiritual, lasting legacy, there are going to be some things in Hezekiah's life when we look at them and we say, yeah, that's right, boy," and we give him 10 out of 10. And there'll be some other things in his life we can learn as well, but we're going to say, nah, we don't want to do that. Not so much. You know, you drop the ball at that particular case. So the very first thing I want to say to you about leaving an intentional, spiritual, lasting legacy is to lay down a godly foundation. See, Hezekiah becomes king at the age of 25. You see, you don't have to be ancient to start leaving a legacy. You've got to start early. Uh, But he comes with a dreadful role model of what it, be, what it is to be a king, a father, a husband, or a leader. He's got the worst in his father because what his father Ahaz was, was he'd looked upon the nations there around, he'd looked and thought that he would emulate them, 
and he would take on board their gods. He would sort of sideline the God of Israel and he would bring in the gods of the other nations. And it wasn't simply just that they were dumb idols. That was what was bad. That was bad enough. But it was the way you worshipped them that was debauched and debased and corrupt because those religions were fertility religions. And the way in which you enacted fertility was you went and you reenacted it up at the temple. And so it was a big sex orgy there with temple prostitutes. And so there was that side of it. But it was worse, if it can get worse, because you wanted to appease the gods and make sure they were on side. So you offered sacrifice to them, but just not animals, just not bulls and goats. You offered human sacrifice because you wanted to show how serious you were. And even more, you offered your own family. You offered your own children. And Ahaz offered his own sons up to foreign gods. Hezekiah would have been one of the ones that survived. Imagine a Father's Day back in the day and Hezekiah is writing a letter to Ahaz. Thank you, Dad, you did not roast me. I mean, that's a not much of a legacy. So you see, when you come to leaving an intentional, spiritual, lasting legacy, you're going to have to choose. Will I choose what I got out of my family of origin or will I make something different? See, Hezekiah has to make that choice, and he chooses the Lord. Now, Helen and I are coming up for 50 years of marriage in about six weeks. <laughs> Thank you. Pure wedded bliss without a slightest ripple. Well, you know, a little bit of hyperbole there. But the thing is, when we got married, we were churchgoers, but we were not followers of Jesus. We hadn't made a commitment of our lives to Jesus Christ as Lord. And about seven months after we were married, coming up for June or July sometime of next year, I can remember kneeling down with Helen at the end of our bed and we gave our lives to Jesus. But then we started to ask ourselves questions. What sort of a home do we want to make for ourselves? What, what sort of things do we want to perpetuate uh, you see, as I said, my, my parent, our parents weren't Christians. Helen's mum was. She was the one out of the four. Helen's dad made a recommitment later. My parents didn't even go to church at Christmas and Easter. So there was lots of good things that we brought out of our families. They were good people, and they'd, they'd inherited an l- enormous lot of good things out of their own Christian backgrounds. But we had to make a choice. What are we going to take of what we had before... And what are we going to move on and, and sort of try and improve and try and make better and try and make more biblical? And we start to ask each other, how do we make our marriage last a lifetime? How does prayer feature in our marriage? What church are we going to support? What church is going to be good not just for us, but for our kids as well? What sort of ministry are we going to do? How will we raise our children in a godly way? What sort of school are we going to send them to? How are we going to use our money? Will we be tithers or not? And on and on and on. And I guess my first plea to you this morning, whether you're just starting out or whether you're, uh, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're in the middle of life, is, is have those sort of conversations either within yourself or with your marriage partner. I mean, we heard the other day the importance of sitting down on the couch 
and, and having long conversations, well, that's a really, really good conversation to have. And if you haven't intentionally done it, my encouragement this morning is to make that an absolute top priority. <clears throat> well, my second point in leaving an intentional, spiritual, lasting legacy <clears throat> is to keep your faith in tough times. It's okay. You start well. You lay down good foundations. But how's it going to turn out? Will you be fully committed to Jesus in every season? Will you keep the faith in Christ when the going gets tough? When trouble comes, will you fall away? What happens when life puts you through the meat grinder? Will you stand up and be counted when you are tested big time? Well, Hezekiah had to make those sort of challenges. He had to meet them because trouble was coming and trouble was coming big time in the forms of a people called the Assyrians. They were the greatest power of the day. And they, they lived roughly where Iraq is today. They, they swept around the desert and they approached uh, Palestine from the north. They swept down through Syria and Lebanon, those sort of places. They swept up to Samaria, the northern kingdom, and they left utter carnage and disrupt, disruption everywhere they went. They totally smashed the northern kingdom. They just obliterated it. They took the people of the northern kingdom and they dumped them in foreign lands. They took people from foreign lands and they dumped them in, uh, back in Assyria. They left only the poorest of the poor to till the lands there. And then these people were very, very scary dudes. They were not your friends on Facebook. You did not get onto LinkedIn with these people. You did not swipe right on Tinder or eHarmony or whatever is your favourite thing. You, uh, these were totally mean people and you did not mess with them. Fortunately for Hezekiah at that time, there was trouble back home and they withdrew, right? They went back. But um, this is, is a ruthless people. It's like the Taliban on steroids. Just, just imagine... We're here, and imagine we're in Jerusalem, and up there on the Sunshine Coast is, uh, is where Samaria and the other places are. And the, the uh, Assyrians have come through, and they get up to Nusa, and they totally trash the place. And they get to Maruchidor, and it's just rubble. And they just get to Caloundra, and it's just ashes. And there are refugees screaming. And the six o'clock news has got these people yelling and, and screaming. And, and we would be sitting here in our place in Brisbane and we would be starting to get very, very nervous. Well, there is... A, oh, I've lost a page. Sorry. Okay. Well, the Assyrians smashed the north... They, get, they go back home for a while because they've got to deal with some internal problems. But just like Arnie in the movies, they say, I'll be back. <coughs> and they're back. And this time, they're with a new, mean king called Sennacherib. And we've got pictures of Sennacherib, and he comes and he means absolute business. Uh, but Hezekiah decides he will not bow down. He will not kowtow to Hezekiah. He won't pay tribute because he doesn't want the gods of the Assyrians and he wants some sort of independence. And this is, I want to tell you, this is a massive call. These guys do shock and awe for breakfast. They just obliterate people. 
Well, Hezekiah decides he will not buckle under. So if you want to leave an intentional, spiritual, lasting legacy, you've actually got to, got to stand up for what you believe, stand up for your faith in Christ when a crisis comes. See, why is Winston Churchill voted the greatest Englishman ever? Uh, he's got a mixed legacy, but why is he voted that way? Because when the country was down and out, you know, when it could have completely crashed and crumbled under the tyranny of Nazism, he stood up and he said, we are, we're going to fight on the beaches. We will not give up. You see, for people, you to be able to leave a legacy, people have got to look back on your lives and be able to say, in tough times, they kept the faith. They maintained their values. They did not give up. When the meat grinder came, it actually brought the best out of them. That man stood up for what he believes. That woman wouldn't compromise her values. They didn't give up. Well, Hezekiah at first, he realises this is big trouble and he tries to buy himself out. Uh, but trying to buy Sennacherib off is like, like trying to feed a crocodile. They always keep on just coming back. They want more and more and more. And imagine we're sitting here in Brisbane, right, and Sennacherib is coming down and he's done the Sunshine Coast. It's gone. And he gets up to Caboolture and it's just smashed. And they get up to Redcliffe and it's just rubble. And there are refugees screaming into Brisbane, into where we are, into the CBD. Hezekiah actually expands the walls and expands places in Jerusalem and takes thousands of refugees in. And everybody is freaked out. This is Freddy Krueger, armies of them, and they're out to intimidate. They are awful, scary people. And, and there's a... A lot of inscriptions left back in Iraq by the Assyrians. And we've got one from Hezekiah himself. This is not in the Bible. It was dug up in the sands over there in Iraq. And it's a discussion from Hezekiah's point of view of coming into Jerusalem. And, Hezekiah, and Sennacherib said this, Hezekiah himself, like a caged bird, I shut up in Jerusalem, his royal city. You see, Hezekiah is saying... I've got him, I'm going to squeeze him, and I'm going to wring his neck. And just to give you an idea of how much this shock and awe is, there's this, this wonderful little exchange, because the Assyrians now have smashed everything else, and they rock up to the walls of Jerusalem. And Sennacherib sends his chief guy, the commander of his army, a guy called Rabshakar, out to parley. And Hezekiah sends his guys out, Eliakim and Shebna and Joab, and they go out to, uh, to meet Rabshakar, and he immediately adopts the bully boy tactics. He says, you choose. You live or you die. <clears throat> Don't listen to Hezekiah. Don't think that your gods are going to save us. Don't think when Hezekiah says he can call upon the Lord, that's going to do any good. We've smashed every other people. They've called upon it, their gods, and we've gone straight over them. Well, you see, poor old Eliakim, he's shaking at the knees because this is really bad stuff. And they're outside the walls and there are people hanging off on the walls. And they've been talking in the local language, which is called Hebrew. 
And Eliakim doesn't want these people hearing. This is a marketing exercise. He, he wants to keep building up morale. He doesn't want them hearing all this shock and awe language. So he says to Rabshakeh, look, um, let's just make this between you and me. We'll, let's talk in Aramaic, which was the more global language used, by, used in commerce in the general region, but the local people wouldn't have spoken it. He says, let's just make this, let, let's speak in Aramaic so they don't actually have to overhear what we're saying. And the Assyrian commander is absolutely amazing. It gives us a great bit of local colour. It, it gives you the total feel for the way in which they tried to um, intimidate and Rabshakar says, and this is a reasonably free translation, he says, you've got to be joking. He said, my master did not just send me to talk to you, but to talk to these guys who are hanging off the wall, who are going to eat their poo and drink their wheeze. And the thing is, the Bible says that in two different books because it wants you to know how totally scary these people were. Well, they deliver this message. They take it to uh, Hezekiah, and Hezekiah takes the message. He goes into the temple, and he spreads it out before the Lord. He doesn't crack, and he prays a prayer, not just your average prayer, not just a prayer, a perfunctory prayer, not just a prayer like you might rattle off occasionally when you're half asleep and you just want to go to bed. He pleads with God. He's got anguish with God and he prays that God's glory would be seen and God's deliverance would be seen and so that all the kingdoms of the world would know that the Lord is God. And he consults the famous prophet Isaiah. Interesting to have Isaiah as your basic advisor. It's a bit like us reading the Bible. And he comes out to the people and he said this, great words of encouragement, great speech. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army that's with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles I mean, that is a great text as a memory verse, isn't it? For he, with him there's only an arm of flesh, but with us there is the Lord our God to help us and to find that, fight our battles. And the people just basically gain confidence from this. And Hezekiah also does a very interesting thing. Obviously, this took a little bit of time, and some of the chronology of, of exactly when Hezekiah did precisely when uh, is a little bit unclear. But Hezekiah decides he will do something a bit more concrete. He actually decides he will build a water tunnel. And you've got to understand that the Jerusalem is sort of like a, a, a mountain, and it's a bit of a mountain plateau. And up on top of mountains, you don't have too many rivers. You don't have lots of pools and things like that. So water is always a problem. But there is actually a spring called the Spring of Gihon, that supplied water, and it sort of hangs off the side of the mountain, and it flows down into the Kidron Valley on one side. And people have always been trying for over centuries to harness the water. The Canaanites who used to live there built a water channel, uh, but the problem with the water channel was it only did half the job. The water kept flowing down the Kidron Valley and flooding down and, wa and watering fields down there, and of course, when you had a surrounding army, 
the water was giving them succor. And Hezekiah says, oh, I want the Assyrians hot and thirsty all the time. I don't want them getting any water. Chronicle says, why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water? Well, I want to give you an, a little bit of an illustration precisely of how that is. Uh, PJ's going to give me a hand. But if you can imagine, you here in the middle... Uh, uh, your Jerusalem, it's a sort of a bit of a plateau. It, it sort of curves in a little bit uh, at, at the end there. Over to one side, over here is the Kidron Valley. There's another valley over here. And out on this side here, this is the spring of Gihon, where it, it sort of bubbles out and flows down the mountain. This part here, this is where David's palace was. And up here is where the, the temple is. This is the Temple Mount. And where the middle section is here, you are sort of, you're living in Jerusalem. Now, what Hezekiah does, and I need, where's oh, my other things, is he takes, he gets, they build this tunnel. Uh, and it comes down here, it sort of shapes, snakes around down here. I can't, I don't want to particularly get it out, but if you imagine sort of snaking a little bit around here, and it comes around the back, and... And if you have a look here, it finishes in a pool at the end. And this is the pool of Siloam. Uh, and so this area here is sort of towards the end of Jerusalem. And, and so this is sort of the, the, the Jerusalem plateau. And the whole thing is an engineering marvel. People are still not quite understanding how they could build the, this, this tunnel that took the water. And they had people starting from either end to build it. So there's one set of guys one end, one set of guys the other end, and they dig and they meet in the middle. How they manage to meet in the middle, well, we're not exactly quite sure, but uh, they did. There was an amazing thing happened. Up until about, or oh, relatively recent times, Jer Jerusalem was in the part of the Turkish Empire, and the Arabs used to live in Jerusalem completely. Now, the, the Arabs were... Very nervous. They didn't go into the tunnel because there's scary stuff in there. There could be spooks and demons and, and goblins and all sorts of stuff. Ghosts lived in the tunnel, so they wouldn't go in. <clears throat> but in 1880, there was a Christian missionary who was working there, <clears throat> and he was doing some sort of missionary work and some sort of excavations, I suspect. And he had a team, <clears throat> and one of his, the boys that was working for him went into the tunnel. <clears throat> And if there's water still flows through it. And uh, as he's going in the tunnel, he falls over. And uh, as he pulls himself up on the wall, he's, he's looking at the wall like this, and he thinks he finds an inscription. And, and it turned out that it was. It's an inscription from 2,700 years ago. It's a voice from the past speaking out on just what the, the diggers did to dig this tunnel out and make it go. And so it says something like this. This is the story of the tunnel. While the axes were against each other, and while there were three cubits left, a cubit is there to there, uh, <clears throat> while there were three cubits left, uh, the voice of a man called out to his counterpart, for there was a zeta in the rock on the right. Nobody knows what a zeta is. It could be a little zigzag sort of thing, <clears throat> but that's anybody's guess. And on the day of the tunnel being finished, the stonecutters cut each man towards his counterpart, axe upon axe against axe, and flowed water from the source to the pool for 1,200 cubits. 
and 100 cubits was the height over the head of the stonecutters. So there, over 2,700 years, this, this voice has come out indicating just exactly how these people were there, calling out to one another as they were getting closer to make sure that they met at the right place. But the point is, I want to say to you, the local Arabs were actually quite right. The place is haunted. Well, truly, a recent photo has come to light in the tunnel, and it captures a truly frightening apparition. It's sort of like a Loch Ness monster of Jerusalem hiding in the tunnel. And if, if you haven't sent your children out, you might like to cover their eyes just at the moment because this is totally scary. Could we have this picture up, please? <laughs> it's our, our own Paul Gray. Paul and Faith have walked the tunnel. Could you welcome them up, please? And we want to chat to them about that. <laughs> No, I, I hope that's on. Right. Uh, yes, all right. It, it, it is. It is an apparition, isn't it? Paul, uh, Paul you've, you've walked the tunnel not just once. You've walked the tunnel twice. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, so the first time was, uh, was quite scary. It was when I was a med student, and it was 1989. And uh, in those days, there was no... There was no tourist attraction, there were no people there. We just found a local, local Jewish lad from university and he said, I know where this place is. And so we went and found this hole. It was just a hole in the ground and you went through this and you went down and there was water running through and you, you just started the 500 metre walk. But uh, there were no signs of safety. You just 500 metres is a fair, fair yeah. walk. Yeah. It was, 500 metres. And you, you feel like you're never going to get to the end. You've got your candle. And it's com completely dark and you're walking through at about knee-deep water. And uh, it was quite exciting. It was quite exciting. And, and, what scary. Happened, and what happened the second time? Well, the second time, so it was highly developed from then. So there was, um, it's a tourist attraction now, so you, you pay your money, you, there are change rooms, and it was a very, very different experience. Uh, so Faith and I went for the second time, and it was a very, very different place. And, and Faith, from your perspective, just tell us, you know, your experience of being in the tunnel, how it felt, what, what, what you just experienced in the whole thing. Sure. <laughs> Um, it was quite close. It was uh, walking through it, you just got this feeling of how much work went into this um, this tunnel. You know, it was probably above our heads, and you know, wasn't a lot of room on either side. But it was it was just rock. You know, this isn't dirt. They were cutting through. It was rock. It was just. It was quite an engineering feat. Uh, yeah. It was extraordinary. And then this water that just rushed through was amazing. I mean, you weren't. Wasn't a lot of silt on the bottom. It was just rock and water and cool water that you know obviously had been, you know, built to save you know the Israelites back in that time. But the water still comes through. There's nothing changed. It could have been. We could have been living back then. Did you get a feeling that you were sort of part of history? Absolutely. Yeah. It was extraordinary. Now, we've been talking today about leaving an intentional, spiritual, lasting legacy. What's on your heart as far as a legacy is concerned, Faith? Um, yeah, <coughs> thinking on this question, really, you know, our legacy is, you know, what's on my heart was just to keep pointing people to Jesus. You know, whether it's pointing, shoving, <laughs> encouraging, whatever it is. is and, and it's not just your own kids. I think it's whoever God puts in front of you, whether it's, you know, the people who are coming in, you know, 
for the community morning teas, the people sleeping rough, is, you know, sharing with them, our own children, our life group, you know, everybody you come across who God puts in your heart is pointing them to Jesus would be my, what I'd like to see as my spiritual legacy. Thank you. Paul, could you add to that? <coughs> yeah, look, I think... Um, Clearly, you can, you can leave a very good legacy and you could also leave a very bad legacy. And certainly, I've seen a lot of patients at work who have had very tragic legacies left for them um, and it leaves them quite broken. So I think, um, for me, I think um, leaving a... It's about um, leaving a strong Christian character as a legacy. So, so not just um, people just remembering somebody who believed, but somebody who, who had a strong Christian character in terms of their beliefs, their behaviours, their ethics... Uh, both at work and home in the community. And, uh, and I think, uh, yeah, I think for me that, you know, far from reaching the ideal, uh, from at, but I think that uh, that's, that's, that'd be the kind of the spiritual legacy I'd like to leave. Thank you very much. Could you well, uh, thank Paul and Faith. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, Sennacherib did not prevail. He went back to, uh, you know, I, I, there's a lot more there we could talk about. Sennacherib actually withdrew. He went back to Assyria where his legacy was to be murdered by two of his own children, which wasn't nice, and the kingdom soon collapsed. You see, the kingdom of human, humanity, we rise and fall and rise and fall, but it's only the kingdom of God that remains. And the really great thing is that you can Google Assyrian church and you will find there is an Assyrian Orthodox Church and you will also find that I don't know whether in Brisbane there is at least three in Sydney so the kingdom keeps on going <clears throat> well the third point about leaving an intentional spiritual lasting legacy is to plan for the future right uh, you see to be intentionally you've got to look to the future you've got to plan to the future and this is one where Hezekiah did actually drop the ball. He wasn't quite as good as he could have been. Remember, he was a great king, but he was not a perfect one. Uh, and it's very easy just to live for the moment. In COVID, we have been sort of programmed to live for the moment because it's difficult to think too far down the track and make plans because we don't know when the borders are going to be open, shut, what the jabs are going to do, whether there's going to be Delta virus or Epsilon virus or whatever. So... It, it, it's easy for us, but in, in this period, Hezekiah becomes very sick. And he prays to the Lord, and the Lord gives him a marvellous deliverance. He extends his life for about 15 years. And news of his deliverance, it actually sp spreads out. And it spreads not only, it spreads past Assyria, it spreads to, a, to Babylon, which is further away still. Babylon is the next big thing on the horizon. Hasn't risen yet, but it, it's coming. It's coming. And the, the, the son of the king of Babylon hears that Hezekiah has been healed, and he sends him some get well cards and a good message, and he sends some messengers over to talk to him and, and see him. And Hezekiah's pretty chuffed by this. And so he invites them in, he invites the messengers in, and he shows them all his goodies, his gold and his silver and his precious stones and his armory and, and his wine and his oil and all of that. And he, he's rather proud, he's very proud of all the things that he's done. Um, and Isaiah the prophet, whose job is to keep the king, you know, spiritually toned up, he, he comes to Hezekiah and he says, who are those guys? And Isaiah says, well, Hezekiah says, well, that they were just some, some friends from Babylon. They've come from a long, long way away from Babylon. 
And, uh, well, what did you show them? He said, well, I showed them the lot. I showed them everything. Uh, what did they see? They, they saw the works. And Isaiah says to him, are you out of your mind? He says, the day is going to come when it's not the Assyrians you're going to have to worry about. It's going to be the Babylonians. And they're going to come in and they're going to do shock and awe, not just to everybody else, but Jerusalem. And they're going to carry the people away. They're going to carry away your own flesh and blood, your own offspring. And they're going to take them into Babylon. And they're going to give some of the men the snip and make them eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And Hezekiah is listening and he says, well, when's this going to happen? Isaiah says, well, not not." Just tomorrow, you know, a long, but way, a fair way off, but not in your time, but a fair way off. And Hezekiah says, "Oh well, thank, thank goodness for that. It's going to be a long way off. It's not going to be my problem. Let some other poor dummy deal with it." In fact, uh, the scripture says this: uh, Isaiah says, "And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, that will be born to you, will be taken away." They will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And Hezekiah, the word of the Lord said that you have spoken is good, for he thought, will there not be peace in my time? You see what he's saying? Yeah, it's going to be a mess. It's going to be an absolutely dreadful mess, but it's not my problem. Let some other poor dummy deal with it, but it doesn't have to be me. <clears throat> And I want to encourage you and say to you that if you want to leave a legacy, an intentional, spiritual, lasting legacy, you won't just have a mindset that's followed on to, just focused on today, on the here and now, but you will be looking towards the future. In fact, you will have an eye on eternity. In fact, you will be preparing for it. You'll be planning for it. You'll be praying for it. Now, I want to give you just one illustration of the way I tried to do it. This is just one way for me. You will have to figure out your own ways. But earlier this year, at the start of the year in February, my two-year-old granddaughter, Bethany, was baptised in an independent evangelical church in Wollongong that practised infant baptism. And her parents, they asked me if I would pray for Bethany during the service. And afterwards, I composed a letter to be given to Bethany when she is 18 years old. I hope I will be there to give it to her. But if not, I've asked her parents that they would give this letter to Bethany as sort of a testament to what Helen and I have in our hearts for her as a person. And this is what it says. Dear Bethany, this is the prayer that I prayed when you were baptised by Tim Canosa at Salt Church, Wollongong on the 21st of February, 2021. Tim was one of the pastors and a family friend. I'm delighted to be asked to be part of the service as your, grand, as your grandma Helen and I have been praying for you since before you were born and will continue to do so as long as we live. The prayer at the baptism was inspired by the words of Luke 2:52, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour of God and man. <clears throat> it indicates that Jesus matured in a multidimensional way intellectually, physically, spiritually, and socially. And that's what we've prayed for you. In addition, we've been praying for the man you will, be, you will marry, that you will create a godly home of your own and you will pass on the faith in, in Christ and all its blessings to your children and grandchildren. <laughs> there is one other prayer 
that I have prayed especially for you. Uh, as we look upon you now, you are a very attractive little girl. We have every expectation that you will develop into a particularly good-looking young woman. So our special prayer is that as you grow, you will be beautiful on the inside as you are on the outside. I've got four granddaughters. I pray that for all of them. <clears throat> uh, for some reason, even though your grandmother and I have been called grandma and grandpa, of your own volition, you have decided to address me as Rod. <clears throat> so I close not with grandpa and grandma, but with much love, Rod and grandma. <clears throat> Here is the prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the life of Bethany Kate Irvine. We pray for your blessing and mercy upon her now. We pray that she will grow physically, that she will become a fine, healthy young woman with a long and happy life ahead of her. We pray that she will grow in maturity, that she will be intelligent but also wise. We pray that she will grow socially, that she will take her place as a good citizen of the land and be a blessing to those who know her. <clears throat> But above all, we pray that she'll grow spiritually, that she will know you and be known by you, that your spirit will work powerfully in her life and that she will one day joyfully herself take up and own the promises that have been made on, in her name today. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> well, Hezekiah, he died at the age of 54. He reigned for 25 years He's remembered as one of the greatest kings of the Old Testament. And the people of Jerusalem honoured him when he died. And he left a longer legacy. His reputation and his example as a godly king were, were remembered and followed by many people later on. The tunnel that bears his name is also a legacy. But also, it was more than a tunnel. It was an aqueduct that bore life-giving water that helped the city years and years and years in the years to come. Well, I, I finish up with a final point. And the final point is to focus on your family. The psalm says this. God commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, his statutes, <clears throat> even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children and they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds and would keep his commandments. See, here was one area where Hezekiah sadly failed and failed spectacularly because he was followed by a very long-lived king called Manasseh who drank the Kool-Aid, not of Hezekiah, but of his father Ahaz. And he also practiced child sacrifice. Um, maybe it's not down to Hezekiah. Maybe he, maybe he prayed desperately for Manasseh as he saw him going down the wrong path before Hezekiah died. Maybe his heart's agony was from Manasseh not to turn away from the Lord. We just simply do not know. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us. But and ultimately, of course, the faith of our children and our grandchildren is actually in the hands of Almighty God. But by his grace, we can do our part with prayer with shaping the environment, with teaching them the, to read the scriptures, with taking them to good churches and, uh, and, and youth groups and things like that, stressing the importance of good Christian fellowship. I do not think there is anything more important than we can do for that. I've been a follower of the Lord Jesus for nearly 50 years. <clears throat> I remember very clearly asking Christ to become Lord of my life 
but I know it didn't happen in a vacuum. My mother, who didn't go to church, she at least taught me a prayer and she taught me a hymn and she pushed me off to Sunday school. But just this year, completely out of the blue, a distant relative who I'd never met before sent me a photograph that should appear on the screen here. <clears throat> the man on the screen, if he's coming up, is my great-grandfather, Francis Irvine, and my great-grandmother, Emily. He, Francis arrived in Brisbane after a hair-raising sea voyage in 1865. He was only 20 years old, and he came out with his older brother, John. There'd been a great revival, religious revival, in Northern Ireland in 1859, and I'm pretty sure that's where Francis and John became Christians at that time. When he was out here, he went to Jira Baptist Church. The building is still there in the valley. I don't think it's a church anymore, but that's where they went. And when he went there, he met uh, Emily, Emily Downs. Uh, the Melissa Downs is from that general stream of family. Uh, and he met her there, and they married in 1871. They were married by their pastor from their church. And wherever they went, they professed the faith, they kept the faith, and they tried to spread the faith. They moved to Warwick, and in Warwick, they started a Sunday school. <clears throat> Later on, they came back in 1883 to Nunda. And in Nunda, they started, uh, they started another Sunday school. They were part of a church plant from Jira Baptist Church that went out and planted the Nunda Baptist Church. And my great-grandfather, Francis, was the first treasurer. And I am told that he was a praying man. Uh, in fact... At that Sunday school, the children of the local Aboriginal elder were actually embraced into that Sunday school and they raised them up as well. <clears throat> um, Francis died at the age of 50. Emily died at the age of 56 in 1908. In her obituary, in a Baptist publication of the time, it said this, fragrant indeed is her memory of the Nunda Baptist Church and throughout the district. Her life was lived in the service of her master. <clears throat> the two little boys in the photograph, one of them was my granduncle Martin, who went on to be a considerable preacher and had a massive theological library, and he followed Jesus. The other one is my grandfather Charles, who, according to my dad, who never went to church, he told me that his father was a very religious man. <clears throat> that was as good as that was as spiritual as my father would get. Uh, in 2018. The Queensland Baptist magazine published a series of women who made a difference. And one of them in this edition is dedicated to my great-grandmother, Emily. You see, I am conscious that I made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm also extremely conscious that I stand in a channel, not, just, not a water channel, but a channel of faith where one generation passes it on to the next and that's what Helen and I want to do too. We want to pass it on. So my plea today for you is to leave a legacy, an intentional, spiritual, lasting legacy, intentional in that you plan for it, that you prepare for it, and you pray for it, lasting that your prayer is for the generations to come, that people yet unborn will know the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> and spiritual... You see, 700 years after Hezekiah, one greater than Hezekiah, the Lord Jesus, came to the pool at the end of the tunnel. And there he saw a man who was blind from birth. And Jesus had compassion upon him. And he grabbed some, 
uh, dirt from the ground and he spat upon it and he made a little mud ball and he pressed it into the man's eyes and the man was wonderfully healed and Jesus used it as a teaching moment to declare himself that he was the light of the world. <clears throat> you see, a tunnel with your name on it is good. An aqueduct that keeps on supplying water is better. But a spiritual channel, a legacy of faith, where future generations know the Lord Jesus, the light of the world, the fountain of living water, well, that is really something. I was going to ask you afterwards, if, if, you, would like, if you would like to, be, to say, I want to leave a legacy, <clears throat> I'd, uh, I'd, I'd just like to be able to pray for you. So if you'd like to uh, be somebody who would just want to say, I want to leave a legacy, I'm just going to ask you to stand where you are. And I, I just want to pray. So, you know, just, just thinking about your future, the future down the line, a hundred years' time, is there, I think going to be people who love Jesus because you intentionally, spiritually set out to make your lives go for the future and look for that. <clears throat> Let me pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the people who went before us, people of faith who maybe 100, <clears throat> 200 years ago were praying for the generations that they did not know. We thank you for them. And now, Lord, we, we just pray for those within our sphere of influence. Like Faith said, it is our children, but not just our children, people around us, people we live with, people we go to school with, people we go to university with, that our lives may have such a vibrancy, such a genuineness, such an authenticity, that they might be filled so much by your spirit that, that the, the faith that we have is catching and that we spread it forward, that we pay it forward, that it's, it's to generations yet unknown, children and grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Lord, we just pray not so much for a water channel, but for a faith channel, a faith channel that will touch somebody in the year 2,121, that there will be the, just some great men and women of faith in this place and throughout the world that are proclaiming Jesus because what we've been encouraged to do today by the life of Hezekiah and above all by the saving work of the Lord Jesus. And I just pray that for everybody here who wants that in their heart as Helen and I want it for our families. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.